Welcome to the sermon podcast from Church at the Well in Towson, Maryland. To learn more about Church at the Well, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. And now, here's today's sermon from our pastor, Dane Carraway. That's enough um, promo. Let's uh, get into the word. If, uh, if this is your first time joining us or if you've been around for a while, we've been going through this series called The Bridge. We've been in Matthew, um, and we've been looking at how uh, Matthew has been connecting the ideas of the, the, the concepts and the promises made about Jesus in the Old Testament to the fulfillment in the New. And what, what, um, what we've, we learned last week was why Jesus taught in parables. What, what, what was the idea behind it? And it was just kind of strange that Jesus would speak in a way where he was intentionally helping his disciples grow, of course, but also intentionally speaking in a way that would confuse folks. That he was looking at the religious leaders who were looking for those who were only there for the spectacle. They were only there for the show. And Jesus was speaking in a way that they would be confused and have to go and, and figure out that there was something missing. And the thing that was missing was essential being salvation. So um, that's where we were uh, last week, and and we ended by saying that we have to give uh, people, uh, the the folks that are... um that are far from God, that are only here close to Jesus for the spectacle, that are only here for the show, we have to give their spiritual senses opportunity to respond. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to read another instance where Jesus' focus is on helping others and helping the disciples grow in their faith and understanding. And to help explain his lesson, Jesus would enlist the help of an unlikely source. I mean, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 18, I'm going to start in verse 1. It reads like this, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one, one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Verse seven says, woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than two eyes to be thrown into, uh, to, into the hell of fire. Verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven, their angel, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now, when I was first uh, getting this passage, I thought about calling uh, uh, the folks from the band and saying, hey, uh, go ahead and cue up um, um, uh, Reckless Love. But I thought it was too obvious. You know what I'm saying? I, like, like, I just thought it was, it was too easy, guys. Um, but um, so naturally, the, G, uh, the disciples were starting to, you know, like, the, like we, we've read a, a couple that Jesus was, was getting the disciples ready. Like he was starting to do in his evangelism training. Like they were in school. We saw like as Jesus was talking about the fields were ripe for harvest and, and, and how like they were getting ready to be sent out and Jesus was empowering them uh, to heal folks and, and, and to share the gospel and to tell people to repent and to turn and, and, and prepare for the kingdom, right? Like this is what Jesus was doing. He was prepping the disciples. So naturally, when you take somebody to school, when you start teaching them, they've got questions. That, that, that's what was happening here. Like, 
They've got questions. They, they, they were recognizing that Jesus is number one. He's the king. Now, if you are being mentored by the king you pro- and you like him, you want to be, you know, second in command. You want to be a high official. This is, this, we see this in the Old Testament that Daniel went from being a slave, being like uh, being uh, kidnapped from his, uh, from, his, from his homeland, brought to Babylon, and, you know, was, was like, he was, he was a slave. And Daniel went from being that to being the second command of all of Babylon. Like, this, is, this is who he was. Joseph, same thing, kidnapped, left for, like, left for dead by his brothers, taken, and then ends up like being like, you know, a high official in Egypt. So here we have the disciples, they recognize this is King Jesus. And they're like, hey, um, hey uh, how do I get a promotion? Like, like, I know you got 12 of us up here and, you know, we're all kind of ragamuffin, but how do I, how do I get to promote myself? Like, what are the qualifications um, to, to be able to be considered higher? You know, John's probably over there like, I'm the fastest Jesus. That's what's going to make me the greatest. You know what I mean? Um, what, what does it take to, to, to be great in your kingdom? They were playing the comparison game. Like what separates me amongst, uh, from everybody else uh, who's following you? Jesus then does something that by now we aren't surprised by. I, I said last week that Jesus does an amazing job of, uh, of answering questions because he not only answers questions that we have, but he answers them in a way that causes us to ask the questions that we're supposed to be asking. And, and, and this is no you know, exception to that. Um, Jesus calls over a child to the middle of the conversation as if to say, this is the answer. It'd be the equivalent if I was to do a message and I say like, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And then like the kids from Well Kids came over and, and stood on our stage. Now listen, like, I thought about, um, when I was looking at this pastor, it's like, I could do a perfect promo for Splash Zone Extreme and, and, and for why we all should be plugging into our kids' ministry. And like, honestly, that, that's, that's not directly what the passage is about. But what we cannot ignore and what we should not ignore is to see the value in the heart that Jesus has for children, right? Like culturally, were kids any significant at this time period? No. They, they, they were a liability. They were something that you had to take care of, but they, they weren't allowed to speak. They, 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 weren't, they, they didn't have any value yet uh, towards like they, they weren't seen as, as, as value. I would even say like our culture, we do a better job of, uh, uh, you know, of, of valuing kids than probably this, this time period does. And what Jesus does is he's saying like this, you know, this is the example that they have a better shot. They have the right posture of how to relate to me than you do. You, they don't need to become like you. You need to become like them. I, I, so whether, it, you know, obviously not, not the direct point of the, of the passage, but in our same way, like I, I've never understood, I've never, never, never understood. Um, and it's always like people too young to have kids. But you ever met somebody that says like, I can't stand kids or, or, or I hate kids. And I'm like, okay, listen, I, I, I get it. Maybe you're, maybe you're not the most funny person. Maybe you don't like cartoons. I, I don't know. But they're people. Like, 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 it's not like, like, they're not like rabbits. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, it's not, you're not asking somebody if they're like mice or something. Like, 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 no, like, like this, this five-year-old will be 20. God willing, at one point, like that, like this is a human being. What do you mean you just, like, you just don't like, then I guess I say, person's like, well, I don't like people either. Okay, well, then you're just, you know. But, but, but anyways, um, the idea behind this is, is if we're going to be like Jesus, look at his attitude towards folks. And, and I just want to kind of say this, like, as a church, I want to make sure that our church, one of the things that when we were first starting to dream this up and uh, me and Jen and some other folks, we sat in a room and around some whiteboards and I said, I don't want to plant a church unless we plant a church that kids are excited to come to. Like, I, like if we aren't a church that values our kids, that's why we do well kids. You know, like, we, we, like they would hate sitting up here listening to me every Sunday. They'd be like, do we have to go back to church? Like, like you know, 
uh, we, we want to make sure that as we grow, that they're not something that's ever forsaken. You know, uh, something we're dreaming about is that in the next uh, year is, is how do we do youth ministry? How, what does that look like in our church? How do we begin to care about not just our, our youngest next generation, but the folks that are about to be teenagers in the next five to 10 years? So as we think about that, I want us to match the heart of the father. Remember, the, there were adults in this culture, but the disciples were teenagers. This is who Jesus chose. He's like, I'm going to change the world with 12 teenagers. And that's what he did. I, I, I want us to, like there are churches where um, he'll go into and they will let you know like, we are going after this specific audience. This is the, like, this is who we're going after. And I'm learning more and more the science behind this and why this makes sense and having a targeted and knowing your niche. And there are churches here in Towson where they will say, we're going after families. If you aren't a husband and wife with two or three kids, you don't belong at our church. Like forget you college students, forget you. Like unless you have kids, like this is who we are. This is who we want to be. There's, you can go find those churches within the five miles of where we're sitting right now. If we were to have anything, I, I want to say that I want to be a church that young people, that, 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 uh, that kids, that, you know, like, like the kids around my kids' age or, or the next generation, where they want to be at and that adults, that they can see the, what God calls them into, where they could see like their own uh, ministry towards that next generation. Because guess what? That's what we're called to do anyway. If you don't love kids... You, you don't agree with Jesus on this. Does that make sense? Did I appeal to that enough? Are we good? Am I, am I, okay, great. Um, so uh, let, let's keep looking at the passage. Um, as much as this passage highlights for, uh, uh, as it highlights the love of Jesus has for children, this passage is more than that. Jesus is redefining their expectations of who would be considered the greatest. Surely the tallest or, or oldest, who was probably Peter, or, or the smartest would be considered the greatest. No, it's the one who came close to Jesus when he called. Jesus called a kid over to the midst of, of this conversation, and, 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 and that who he would consider to be the greatest. Author think that the hardest sin for someone in our country to overcome is self-promotion or pride. A lot of times when we, we, we see um, uh, pastors and we see Christian uh, 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 um, commentary on, on social issues, and th- you would be led to think that the greatest sin or, uh, in our country or in our culture would be, you know, pick one, like the, the hot topics, right? But this is one that all of us struggle with. I don't care, you know, who, who you are. It's putting yourself before others. You know why? Because you can do it and nobody even know about it, right? Like, like so many other aspects of sin in our lives, oh, somebody's going to see it. But I can have this, this desire for self-promotion. I can have this desire for, for pride. I can be, have this desire to make myself in a better position or, 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 or just to take pride in myself and nobody even recognize it. This is what our, I, I think we struggle with. Um, Jesus is pushing his disciples towards humility. Humility means believing what God says about you over anyone else's opinion, including your own. Humility is, is believing what God says about you over anyone else's opinion, including your own opinion. Humility is not really a sought after quality, is it? And a lot of times we, we mistake it for other things. Like, like we think that because someone isn't assertive, that means that they're humble. We think that because somebody is quiet, that they're humble, right? Like, like if they're reserved that they're, and just kind of like slow to speak, that they're humble. The only time humility is attractive is when it's being celebrated, right? Like how many times have you just thought about somebody and been like, man, that they did this great thing. It was such a humble thing that, that they would do. And that person's like, you know what? I was pretty humble when I did that. It's pretty great of me. What, what, what just happened? We are prone to self-preservation and promotion. Sometimes it's not even the promotion. It's just the idea of how I'm going to save myself. Um, I, I used to joke uh, with one of my friends we grew up. We knew that whenever there was, if there was like, it seemed like a, a, uh, a situation where, 
um, like a fire alarm went off or, or like a storm. We knew that he was going to do whatever it took to save himself and the rest of us were just, we, you know, we were in trouble. You know, like if something bad happened right now or the fire alarms went off or we heard that like alarm started uh, running out, some of us are going to get our stuff and get to our car to make sure that we're straight. Some of us are going to run down there and make sure the kids are good. Some of us are going to go to the emergency exit door and say, well, I hope everybody else made it out. I'll see them next Sunday, I guess. What's what's the idea behind self-preservation? But in this conversation of what makes a follower of Jesus great, it requires letting go of our position. Now, now what does that mean? Letting go of our position. I think what Jesus is pointing to is that, you know what makes this kid great? I called him over and he's sitting at my feet. Like the, the, the closeness to me and, 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 and where, where, where he wants to be is not as high as possible, but as close as possible to me. Our big idea today is the idea of greatness requires stepping down. This passage is about what a follower of Jesus is and what a follower of Jesus does. The question that we're going after is, what do followers do? So let's go back to the passage. It starts us out saying, at, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In answering the question of, of what followers do, this is one that we should never take for granted. And, and, and it's important that we, we understand this and that we, we find it, we allow ourselves to do this. And, and it's as simple as this, what do followers do? Followers ask questions. Like, like, keep in mind like, what, what did not happen in this story. The disciples come to Jesus with a question. Did Jesus rebuke them? Did he tell them they're dumb? Like, I, like he, he, he didn't. Jesus answers their question. He, he allowed them to, you know, to, to exist in this moment. He, um, he didn't even, you know, rebuke them for wanting to be great. Like, did y'all catch that? That Jesus didn't say like, hey, your desire to, to be good at something, your, your desire for, for uh, wanting to be uh, uh, successful in what you're pursuing, there's something wrong with that. Jesus didn't rebuke their ambition. If you hang out in church long enough, you, you, would, you would be led to think that, man, all, all business people are going to hell, right? Like surely Brian can't be an elder in our church one day because he works in finance. Like that, that there's, there's no possible way. No, that like Jesus doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. He says, you're the way you probably think that this is, is not the way you can go about it. This isn't what it looks like. Let, let, let me show you how you can truly be successful. See, I think a lot of times that we mix up what God calls us to and, and, and what our interests are, and, and we want to throw everything out because we can't conceive how to do it in the way that God would call us to do. You said enough church, you hear that like, there's no possible way that you can be a follower of Jesus and a lawyer because all lawyers lie, right? Or, or, or like, no, you, you could just be one that, that values Jesus over valuing winning in court, Right? Like, you, you would be led to think that, like, everyone who works in sales is, like, like there's no way that they could be a follower of Jesus. There's no way that they can, can do this and do this because they have to make that sales goals. No, they're just, they're just going to trust God with their circumstances. They're, they're just going to do things in an honorable way. They're just going to change the, and shift the way that they approach doing business because they value being an honorable person and doing business in an honorable way where they can go and stand before God and be able to take communion when we do it because they know they did things in an honest way. Does that make sense? I, I, I think a lot of times that, that we, we would mistake when Jesus is saying, like, this is how you are to be great. He, he doesn't rebuke their ambition. He doesn't rebuke their desire to wanting to be great. Followers ask questions. Um, But Jesus answers their question as well as points them in a direction into which they can grow, which leads to the next verse. He says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus points to the idea that there there has to be change, but he links it to their salvation, right? Like, I, I mean, I just like, 
sometimes I read passages like this and I just wonder, you know, like, like if I'm if I'm Peter or if I'm John or, or somebody, I'm like, bro, I done left my I didn't left my dad. I was fishing. Life was cool. I came and started following you. And like, why do you keep moving the carrot? Like, like, what do you mean? I, I will never enter the kingdom. Like, 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 have I have I not achieved salvation yet? Like, have I not done enough? Like, we've been following you. Like, uh, every place that you've been, we've been there with you. We even you just sent us out in the towns and the villages to do what you've been doing. What what are you saying? And I think Jesus is speaking to the idea of the willingness and, and the idea that happens with heart change. Because you and I both know, if we're to be honest, that all the serving that we're going to be talking about in community circles coming up, all the serving, that isn't going to achieve heaven. Right or wrong? Like, like did, did Jesus not say that there's going to be people that, like, that, that prophesy in my name, that, that do all these things, that they have all the, like, these different ministerial things that they do? And these folks in the last days will say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say that I never knew you. Jesus is speaking to the idea of this is who I was. I made a decision to trust in Jesus as, the salvation, as my salvation. And, I, and because of that, I've allowed him to start a work of change in me. See, followers allow themselves to change. That, that's what it means to follow Jesus. Like, the, the, there are a lot of folks that when it, when it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to being a churchgoer, when it comes to being a God-fearing person, yes, they believe in God. They trust, they, they, they think they've heard the stories and they've listened. They can even quote the verses of John 3.16 and others about what it means like to be saved and what it means to, to, like, to trust in Jesus. They know these things, but they are exactly who they would be if they didn't have Jesus. Maybe a little bit better. They're exactly who they are. Jesus is talking to these 12 guys that he has been discipling, that he's been on this journey. And he points and says, unless you change to be like this guy, to be like this child. Jesus instructs them to do a very hard, but a very hard thing, but he links it to their salvation. Like he, he points to this as being like, you know, an essential thing. This is why it's so important that, that we uh, you know, always are considering our lives and we are always asking the, like the question, God, is there anything that you're trying to change in me? Is there any way that you're trying to push me towards becoming like you? I, I was, I was uh, um, one of my good friends, here, pastors of church up in York, Pennsylvania, and, and they, have, like, they have a great purpose statement um, of, of their church. And like, one of the things they say is that, we, we, uh, our church does healthy things because healthy things grow. And it's the idea that, you know, if, if, if something is alive and if something is doing well, it grows. And those are the things that we want to feed in our lives. The, the question for us is, are we willing to change? Because from the moment you got saved, from the moment you made a decision to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been activated and has been desiring to, do, to, to uh, evoke change in your life. There is no ex, uh, expectation for you to change yourself on your own. The Holy Spirit is willing, ready, and able to take care of that change. In fact, it says in Ezekiel chapter uh, 36, 26 through 27, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Uh, you ever looked at just thought like, man, like the, the Christian life, the, the life of a follower of Jesus, it's too hard. Can't do it. There's just going to be some things that I just, I'm just going to do. I'm, I'm just going to have to give in here. Jesus can have my Sundays. He can even have my, my community circle days. I'm even going to give a little bit when I go to church, but it's too hard. You know why it's too hard? Because it was never for you to do by yourself. It was never meant for you to do by yourself. It like, 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 uh, too many people are trying to follow Jesus without Jesus' help. It's too hard. I think that, like, I have seen, have I, I've, had, I've experienced folks that have tried, that they have, they have, they've made a decision to follow Jesus, and there has been, like, just sin that grips them that they just can't get let go of, and they're like, it's not that they don't have the desire to, it's not that they don't, they don't love the Lord, but they just don't, they just don't let that work of the Holy Spirit change them. 
They don't let go of the things that they cared about and that they just value more, uh, um, that, that, that they used to value more, just let it go. She's like, listen, there's things I want to do. There's, there's new levels I want to take you to. Like, rem- remember, Jesus sees how the story ends and the disciples don't. I mean, think about it. Like, like you only say <laughs> these things, you only speak this strongly to guys who, don't gonna have a, who aren't going to have a teacher. Is there any need for the disciples to, to be better versions of themselves if Jesus doesn't leave? No, they could just hide behind him. Hey, um, I'm going to go over here, guys. Um, this is about year six into the ministry. Um, I'm going to go here. I'm going to do the, do the uh, bread and fish thing, uh, uh, bread and fish. Um, made a little bit of baptism. We'll go see John. Uh, y'all just have the boat ready. Make sure that uh, uh, Mary and Martha got dinner ready. We'll be straight. No, Jesus was prepping them for more than that. He was saying, unless you change, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. And it might as well have been, unless you change, how can you evoke change in others? That's what Jesus is pointing to. Next verse says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, you've probably seen a ton of pictures uh, depicting Jesus with, with children sitting around him and listening to him. Um, Jesus is telling these, these teenagers that culturally were, uh, that were culturally seen as young adults, this is how you should be. And, and the idea here is that followers take a lower position. That followers are willing to not promote themselves, not try to seek another title or another accolade, but they're looking for how to serve. The disciples recognize the greatness of Jesus. So naturally, if Jesus is king, the position most desired to be is his second in command. But Jesus, he didn't display any value of a hierarchical system or style. Is that how Jesus led? I said this a couple weeks ago. Wouldn't it have made more sense, instead of going to every village and every city, than for Jesus to say, all right, let's get some more boats, let's get some more stuff, and let's just... Y'all just go out and bring people back to me. I'll sit here and, and like, you know, I'm, I'm that important. We get, matter of fact, we just build a temple here. Let's build a temple of Jesus. And like, you know, everybody just comes and sees me. That'll make everything so much easier on me. Is that how Jesus led? Philippians 2 um, is probably one of the best pictures of, of how Jesus approaches his leadership. I don't, I don't have a, a slide of this, but I just want you to listen to this. Because I think this like gives us the posture of who Jesus was, 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 uh, was positioning his leadership to be. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any particip- participation in spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This is Jesus talking about the, uh, how we're supposed to be united, how we're supposed to be uh, um, uh, um, connected um, as churches. But then this is what he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Speaks to the idea of position. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Do nothing out of pride. Put others first. It's the idea of position. And he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he points back of himself as the example. Paul is pointing to Jesus as the example. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the ultimate, like, taking a step back. If Jesus, if God, Jesus like, who sits on the throne above heaven and earth, if he's in this position where he has, like, like, was, like it says here, like, having, like, uh, all the power, having equality with God and said, I'm going to set this aside. This idea of emptying himself, like, all of my glory, all of my Godness, all of my God-likeness, I'm setting this aside so that I can serve and redeem mankind. Man, what are we doing trying to, Trying to be over folks. What are we doing trying to, you know, like, like walking around with pride as if we've done something? 
Do you know, it's your willingness to take a step back in position and to take a step down towards people and, and having a, an attitude of, of humility, you're matching the heart of the Savior. You could never do it as much as he did. But I think, like, if, if we were to take this seriously, how many folks outside of our church as far from God would be able to say that Christians think that they're better than everybody? Christians just, you know, I know, I know you're a follower of Jesus and stuff, but you're only serving people to make yourself feel good. And is that the heart of the Savior? I think that we are, we are called for, for greater than what we're doing. And, and something we have to understand about Jesus is that he didn't lead from a platform. Like, like the only times when Jesus was separated, you know, from his disciples was when he got away to pray or to rest. He was with them. You're like, you ever like catch the part where, so, you know, Garden of Gethsemane, uh, they're all there and they had to ask which one was Jesus. It wasn't like the pictures where like one of them's just shiny. You know what I mean? One of them's just like way more good looking than the others. Like, oh yeah, that's Jesus right there. You know, he got his makeup done. It, 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 it wasn't like that. No, Jesus was with them. How many, like how many like Fortune 500 companies, oh, you know, which, you know who the boss is. His, his office is a little different. Right, his car is probably a lot, a lot different than everybody else's. You know, I remember going to um, one of my uh, best friends. His family used to have uh, season tickets to the Spurs, and, and that's my favorite basketball team. Oh, you know when the owner comes in. Oh, you know, it, like like there's a little bit of like you know there's there's a little bit of space. Everybody else walking with popcorn and things, and you just see him walking, and people are just handing him stuff. Like he's just walking. Like it's like, yep, I own this, I own that. Yep, I got your money. Just walking, saying hi, kissing folks, and just walking. And then he's like, you know what? I need my cell phone. Holds it out. Somebody puts a cell phone in his hand. It, you could just tell it's different. That's not the heart of the Savior. Jesus is in a lead from a position of of lording over folks. Verse continues. He says, "Whoever receives." One such child in my name receives me. Jesus is not speaking of, of literal children here. I hope you, you recognize the shift. That's why the message is not just about kids. But he's speaking of those who have humbled themselves like children. Those who are, who are believers. So, so those who have begun to trust in him or, or even new believers. Jesus, Jesus often equates how his, followers treat toward, uh, how his followers treat towards others to how we treat him. Jesus is saying like, hey, listen, the same way that you treat others is, is, is similar to the way you treat me. This is how I value it. Like, so if you love me, you got to love people. There's a connection here. And sometimes we're like, you know, I ain't got no problem with Jesus. Jesus like, you know, I, I love you. I love what you've done for me. I got no problem loving you. It's these people you put me around that I have a hard time loving. People are the problem. I saw a buffer the other day said, people are the problem. I'm like, that's so funny. You know, but that's, that's where we struggle, right? Like, like, like we just, we can't get over uh, uh, how, to, like, how to deal with the people around us. Um, followers welcome others. What does a follower do? That, that we, have a, we have our arms open towards people. We know that people are people, the same way that people know that we're people, and we give them grace, and we have our arms open to them. I believe this is one of the most overlooked aspects of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I got an opportunity to speak to a group of pastors from um, the district of churches that uh, we're, we're connected to. And I was saying like, when was the last time that any of you guys looked at um, the qualifications to be an elder um, and like did have everyone do a checklist on if, they're, if they meet all of them? And everybody loves the ones that are like husband to one wife and, you know, like, like responsible, able to provide for his family, like all of these things. But then like, there's just one in there. It's kind of like snuck in there where it says they're hospitable. <laughs> like, like <laughs> they're nice. <laughs> like, isn't that like, like, like the most lowest level, what it means to be a leader in the church is like, oh, they're nice to people. Like, what was the last, like, I was like, when was the last time one of your elders, like, like you asked your elders, hey, um, how many people have, have had, a, had a meal in your home this year? Have you said hi to everyone who's visited your church? Like, this is lowest level. Like, people always fo focus on, like, do they know the verses? Are they able to teach? 
Do they wear jeans on? Like, you know, like, like, I don't know. Like, just like the things that we just make a part of church, church culture. It's like, hey, um, what are the qualifications for being an elder? You got to be hospitable. You got to be welcoming to people. Are people, like, like, do people feel welcomed by you? Are, do you have your arms open to them? Are you, like, sizing them up? It's like, nah, you may look like you may be a problem. I don't know. You, you go sit in the back. That, that, you know, we'll fill you out. You be here a couple weeks. We'll let you move halfway, through the, uh, halfway up the church. I'm, 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 I'm exaggerating, but am I really? Like, it's just one of those, like, like uh, aspects that we just don't take seriously. Um, the idea of, of, of hospitality and, and welcoming others is, is, is overlooked. I think because our culture, we get so wrapped up in thinking that there's so few followers of Jesus that makes us defensive. We think that it's the world against, it's like the people of the world versus us. And we know that we have one adversary, right? We got to stop looking at people that are far from God as, as not our adversary, but for folks that we're supposed to be welcoming towards the Father. Followers to welcome others. Verse continues, it says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Um, so if you ever like saw my sermon prep process, like I allow myself just to interact with the verse and just put thoughts down that come to my mind. And this just shows about my upbringing and my, my stepdad and his love for uh, just mafia movies. Cause I read this verse and I was like, oh man, this is the Godfather. This is like, you know, cement shoes all over again. Like the idea that like having a stone that would just sink you to the bottom. That, that, that's, what, that's what this is. I'm like, man, Jesus was gangster. Like just the idea that like, like you know what a millstone is? Like you ever seen like the old um, uh, uh, movies where, uh, or, or pictures where a donkey is, uh, is like fastened to like a big stone and it walks around in a, cir- uh, in a circle for something? Anybody seen Pirates of the Caribbean? Like you don't remember this scene? Okay, there we go. Like, like that, that's what a millstone is. It's just saying it would be better for you to be thrown into the depths of the sea with a millstone than to cause somebody else to sin. And let me be clear, like, I don't think anybody would say like, no, Dane, it's, it's a great idea to cause others to sin. Like, of course we do that. Like, of course, like, you know, we would never do that. But I think what we need to read this to say that Jesus takes this seriously. He understands that the human condition and how impactful those who, who pour into others can be. As leaders, we're to help young people and new believers. That's what we're called to do. We're called to help them and to avoid anything or anyone that could cause them to stumble in their faith and lead them into sin. Frankly, followers don't cause, others, uh, followers don't cause other followers to sin. I mean, it's, it's weird to talk about, but like, like, why does this even happen? And the reason is, you know, whether we like to think about it or not is, Sin feels way better when you have someone else to share it with. Sin feels way better when, when somebody else is doing it with you. I mean, if you followed Jesus long enough, you've probably felt the temptation when you found somebody else that, that is interested in the same sin that you are. I mean, for example, like, you know, one that we're probably all prone to, there's probably a subject or a somebody that you have the urge to, to gossip about. You want to talk about them or you want to talk about it. And once you sense that another believer has that same sort of subject, that same sort of desire, oh, it's easy to just to, to get together and talk about it. And we can even mask it like, well, I'm just, you know, we're, we're just talking. We're just talking. No, like, are, are you speaking in love? Are you speaking in kindness? Are, are you... Are you uh, we was like, well, well, Dane, we're just praying for him. We're just sharing the prayer requests about him. No, no, we're not. We're not speaking kindly about people. We're not speaking in love. And I'm prone to it just like anybody else. This isn't, this isn't judgment. This is, this is me speaking to myself. Man, we, we, we are, we are, we, this is a dangerous thing. And here's the thing. Once you open yourself up to that, people know that when they have the temptation, they're going to run back to you about it. It's kind of the idea of like, well, if I have this one other uh, Christian friend, this uh, one other follower of Jesus' friend who we struggle with the same things, we can keep each other accountable about it. Cool, but then let it be accountability. Because what it's probably is, is that we're just going to struggle together. We're just going to both be broke. I, I think that we have to take Jesus's, um, 
word seriously, that followers don't cause others to sin. Um, instead, what we should be doing is, is striving towards what Paul calls us to do in Romans chapter 14, verse 19. He says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual up, uh, upbuilding. If I love you and take seriously Jesus' desire to welcome and care for his children, I want you to be at peace with God and to build on the foundation of your salvation. If I sense that we are, are, are both like that, that we are uh, joining together, like in something, if, if, if I'm uh, like, you know, talking and having frequent conversations with another husband and, you know, when we get together, you know, that's why I love, that's why, you know, I love some of the, the husbands in our church. Like I can honestly say that there's not been one husband in our church that we get together and we just bash our wives. Like order another pound of wings. I didn't get to say everything I want to say about my wife yet. Like that, that has never happened, ladies. You know, like, and, I, and I just, but imagine if it wasn't that way. Imagine if the culture of our church is that when our wives think that we're out, like, you know, keep each other accountable or we're out like, you know, like, like just doing, you know, just men, iron sharpens iron, but all we do is just bash, bash our spouses. And how toxic would that be? How crazy would it be? I think we, instead we should just, you know, take seriously what God says that, you know, we need to be building one another. Like there's been, there's been times when, there's been times when um, I have made a joke about uh, my wife when I was a youth pastor and like older guys have been like, hey, that was a pretty good joke. You made everybody in church laugh. Let that be the last time you make your joke, uh, joke about your wife on stage without her permission or mean you're going to go out back. And I'm like, yo, my man, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I will, I, yeah, I, I will never do that again. Does that make sense? Like just, just the idea that we would be folks that, would, that, that, that we would care so much about how we build on the foundation of our salvation of, of, uh, you know, in, in each other's lives that instead of being like, hey, we're just gonna get together and we're gonna sit together, it's probably better to do, uh, do it with us because we both have an understanding of Jesus than to do it with people who don't know Jesus at all. This is a safe space to sin, right? No, what Jesus calls us to is to build upon the foundation together. Then it says, uh, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. The idea of despise is to spur or belittle. Jesus is saying, don't treat another believer unkindly. Jesus closes his conversation with a, with a parable about lost sheep, right? And in this parable, it talks about how this shepherd goes to great lengths to go and get one. That Jesus, like he doesn't leave any stone unturned. He doesn't. Like, this is how much he cares about them. He doesn't say, like, I, I've got enough. Like, this is the equivalent to, like, you know, if, if, if you had, you know, we went to, uh, we went to uh, Ocean City this past weekend and all my kids were playing in the waves and things. We didn't, like, at one point, if Camilla was drifting down the beach, I'm like, well, I got two. Two's good enough, right? You know, I still got a good shot of grandchildren. I got two of them. I, I, I didn't get all three, but I got two. No, we, this idea of a shepherd is, is saying like all a hundred matter. Well, like I, I, have to, I have to go after it. I'm willing to leave my 99 and, and go after that one. And man, like, is this not just this a beautiful heart of the father? I think for some of us like that, I think that it's just like the reminder that he hasn't, he hasn't forgotten about us. That he hasn't, he hasn't uh, given up uh, looking for us, given up searching for us, giving up trying to bring us back to himself. And whether that's you and you're, like, you know, you're still kind of like figuring out, like, I, I don't know if I trust God. I don't know if he's the caring God that, that Dane says he is. I don't know if he is. Like, no, this, this is his heart for you. But then on the other side, if you're following Jesus, you're trying to figure out, like, well, how do I spin this story? Am I one of the other 99 sheep? I, what if you're uh, one of the under shepherds? What if you were one of these shepherds that took a lower position? You, you need to have the heart of, of God and the heart of, of Jesus in saying that followers bring followers back. Remember before when I was, uh, we were talking about the harvest and I said that, are you able to, to recognize yourself as the, as the answer to someone else's prayers for, for, for harvesters to, uh, being called into the harvest? Man, it, Jesus is interested in, you know, going after the one to bring back to the 99. If I'm one of his followers and I'm like, all right, well, Jesus, like, 
there's, there's, we have a whole church here. If I'm, if I'm going to go search in my neighborhood for that one, if, if, if somebody else is going to go search at their job for that one, if, if somebody else is going into their schools, that, I have this, that, that means that I'm matching his heart. That means that I care about bringing followers back towards him. I, I think that, you know, when we think about our situations um, with, with, uh, with somebody that we love, you know, at, at some point was following Jesus and, and somehow wandered off. It gets awkward, right? Like we all have a person that, man, they were in church with us. They were at youth conference with us. They were in youth group with us. They, and, and life circumstances, something, something went crazy. Man, I, I, I think that that should be what you are praying for, that you should be praying like, Jesus, I, I remember what you said in your word. I remember that story about the 99 and the one. Would you please continue to go after them? Your word said that you would. God, would you use me to go after them? Your word said that you would. Would you give me the words? Would you give me the posture? Would you give me that, like, just the position God, continue to humble me that I may serve you and I can serve in this way that, that you know, that I'll be able to go after this one. Man, like, I, I, I know it feels awkward. I know it's, it's weird. Like, you know, that there, there is, um, there is a, um, you guys, a lot of guys know Micah, you know, Daryl, like these are kids that grew up in my youth group. There are tons of kids that we get to see, like maybe, or hear from once a year or so, and we run into them and it's just like shame on their face. Because what me and Anna represent to them is who they used to be at a time when they were at their closest with Jesus, but now they have gone and lived their lives. And, you know, that, that whether they're far from him or they, they, they have turned against him or God has let them down in some way. And there's just like, you could just tell by the interaction, like we, are, we just represent a time in their life where they had a connection to the Lord and there were pe- like, you know, people like Jen like, and like where, where there were like adults who just wanted to pour into them for the sake of the father, right? And, and one of the hardest things that, and most awkward things is that h- how do I interact with you? How do I serve you? How do I come towards you? You know, when you're still running. And by the way, I don't think there's a perfect answer to that. I, just, I know that the answer is willingness. Oh yeah, evangelism's awkward. Big deal awkward. But followers are willing to be awkward. They're willing to go into those hard spaces and they're willing to interact with those because followers bring followers back. Um, as we close, I just, I just want to remind you that greatness requires stepping down. It's not, it, it's not the... the, uh, the, the uh, the idea of, of making ourselves better or, or dressing better or knowing more verses. None of those things will, will, will get you a promotion in our church. There is no promotion in our church. It, like, it doesn't, it doesn't impress anybody. And if it does, it shouldn't. But greatness, it, just, it, it requires just being in a position where you're willing to, to humble yourself for the sake of being amongst people and serving people. You're at your, your greatest when you are replicating the love of Jesus and your love of others. Man, this is the heart of our Savior. The way we respond this morning is by asking ourselves a, a hard question. Are the most important things in your life about you? Or you would say it as, are the most important things in my life about me? Um, I was reminded of this great uh, story. I haven't given a sports analogy in a long time, so you're going to have to deal with this one. Um, 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 Chris Paul, um, great point guard. Um, when he was in high school, um, one of his biggest fans was his grandfather. I think he owned like an auto shop or something. And, you know, like during the summers and when he wasn't at school, Chris used to work at his uh, grandfather's shop. But um, when Chris was playing a basketball game, his grandfather closed the shop early and he was at every single game. Well, during his senior year, um, his grandfather died and, um, you know, he, he died on one day and I think like a day or two later, you know, they were playing in a big game and his mom kind of jokingly said to him, said, well, your grandfather died at 61. I think you should score 61 points tonight in, in his honor. And game starts and 
He starts off good, maybe like 10, 15 points in the first quarter. Second quarter, he doubles it, does like 20-something points. He's up to 30 at halftime. And his parents had kind of forgot that this conversation was even a thing. And he just kind of put it to the side, right? Well, sure enough, halfway through the fourth quarter, he gets, you know, he's headed to the basket. He gets bumped, he gets fouled, scores two points, and he gets 61 points. He goes to the foul line. Now, mind you, in North Carolina, the school, uh, the, the state record for most points in the game was 67. And he was halfway through the fourth quarter. Surely he could get it. He goes up to the foul line, takes the ball, and just basically passes it back to the uh, air balls the ball and basically like, does like a long pass back to the ref and says, I'm done. And to- goes to the coach. They were winning by like 30 points. Tells the coach to take him out. Goes over to his dad, hugs him, and just starts bursting out crying. He did that instead of going for the record because what was more important was honoring the life and the, honoring his, his grandfather, this person that meant so much to him, rather than the idea of personal glory, which would have been his name in, a, name in, a, um, in the North Carolina record books forever. I think about you and I, right? And I think, man, there's a lot of great things we could do in this life. There's a lot of great things that we could be remembered by. There's a lot of great things that we could just you know, uh, um, if we push ourselves hard enough and we have the, the, like the mindset, like that, the idea of what we were all told when we were kids, you could do anything you put your mind to. You can accomplish great things. You can, you can do those things. And I believe that God blesses our ambition once it's surrendered to him. I don't believe that ambition is a bad thing, but I believe that our greatest acts in this world will not be done from the, the highest position It'll be done with a reverence and a submission to the Savior and a service to the people around us. Amen? Will you pray with me? You just listened to a message from Dane Carraway, the pastor of Church at the Well in Towson, Maryland. To learn more about our church and to support what we're doing in the greater Baltimore area, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Church at the Well. May God bless you.